Where we watch spooky movies referenced in Scream. This week we watched Hellraiser. Hey Jackie. Hey Luke. Uh, welcome back folks to another Horror Hut. As mentioned, we did watch uh, 1986's? I think so. That's when it filmed. I think it came out maybe 87. Okay. Yeah. Let's just say 1986's Hellraiser in the show notes will get it correct. Yeah. If that's not correct. Uh, yeah. We watched Clive Barker's Hellraiser, uh, as it was referred to in the UK. Uh, it had a whole lot of other names across the world. <laughs> um, I don't remember any of them. Oh, I don't either. I, I just remember some of the proposed titles when the <laughs> original novella title was uh, rejected. So it's based on a novella by Clive Barker called Hellbound Heart. And apparently this was rejected because it sounded like a romance. Because, you know, hell is always discussed. Yeah. You know, the Hallmark Channel just keeps pumping out movies that have the word hell in the title. Oh, yeah. Like it's a classic. hell for Christmas. Um, <laughs> yeah. Two peas and a hell pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but one of the... So internationally, it had like a bunch of names. I think Lords of Hell was a pretty common one. Oh, that um, makes some sense. In like Estonia, Latvia, France for some reason. Um, but yeah, it had some pretty... Uh, it had some challenges landing on a title. Uh, I'm trying to remember some of the other pitched ones. I remember one of them. Uh, well, I have it here. Okay. So uh, when the studio rejected the Hellbound Heart, uh, Clive Barker suggested sadomasochists from beyond the grave. <laughs> so uh, they were like, no, we can't name a movie that. Uh, but supposedly one of the crew members suggested what a woman will do for a good fuck, which was clearly so much better. Yeah, which would have been... A pretty good title. Very think, descriptive of the movie. I think it's the most accurate title of all of yes. them. Yes. Yeah, the motivations are pretty clear for Julia, but we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's your relationship to Hellraiser, Jackie? I don't remember when I first saw it. I think it was one of those that like, I read about the movie and went, I need to see this, and I watched it. So it's not that much of a story, uh, okay. but I have seen it a few times over the years. How about you? So Pinhead has haunted me for a long time. <laughs> like personally? Personally. Yeah. It keeps following me around. Uh, no, just like within the horror genre, I was always aware of Pinhead mm-hmm. and had no idea what Pinhead was up to, but it was very curious to know what Pinhead was up to. So we watched this movie for the first time, like maybe a couple years ago. Yeah, that sounds right. Something like that. And it was super cool because, like, it was nice to connect the dots on, uh, like, a major horror figure that I had no real idea, like, what they were about or what they... Because I'll put it to you this way. Like, Michael Myers is pretty boring as far as motivations go. We've discussed this. Yeah. Yeah. We discussed this at length in our uh, Halloween episode. Go check that out if you want more Michael Myers discussion. Pinhead and the Cenobites, on the other hand, are very distinctive and deeply motivated. It's true. Uh, Kind of more so than any other horror film, I think. Um, Yeah, I mean, I feel like in terms of marketing and merchandising and, like, stuff you see at Spirit Halloween, you would think that Pinhead was another... Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Chucky, exactly. Jason kind of guy. Um, and he is very much not. No, not even a little bit. So it was really cool. Like, we can get into that more here in a second. But it was just cool to, like, have this figure that I was thinking of as, like, a Freddy Krueger, that kind of a deal. And yeah. then to find out that, like, no, actually, he's kind of his own, like, crusader for S&M. 
yeah pushed to the <laughs> extreme like it was cool uh but uh i forgot a, a very important question why are we watching this because we only watch movies referenced in screen because uh, the characters of Scream brought it to the party toward the end of the movie as one of the ones they were going to watch. Amazing. It's a VHS tape in the movie. They have a VHS tape of Hellraiser. Yep. Perfect. Uh, nice. Well, uh, I don't think there's any other questions. Do we just want to break down the plot of sure. Hellraiser? Obviously, spoilers for Hellraiser if you want to see a horror classic before we just like break into all of it. Actually, yeah. I don't really think it matters. I was actually going to say, I don't know if this is a spoilable movie. I don't think it will take anything away. Yeah, I don't think so either. So, yeah, watch it before or after listening and you'll be fine, I think. Yeah, I think you'll be totally fine. Um, Okay, so plot. Uh, this movie is bizarre so uh i may need a little help here and there to fill in some blanks because okay. it's, it's very strange uh which i appreciate but we start with frank who is extremely sweaty this is like the <laughs> the primary thing that i notice about him anytime he's uh he's always wet in this movie in, yeah. with various fluids so in the beginning it's sweat uh and he buys a little ornate puzzle box and then we see him in a circle of candles open the puzzle box and then things start to glow in the room and then he's ripped apart by hooks and then we see pinhead yeah. uh time to pinhead is very quick time to movie. pinhead is essentially three minutes yeah it is pretty much immediate time to first kill is like yeah it's even quicker than that it pretty much just starts with sweaty Frank's demise. Yeah. And and then we see Pinhead like put his face together in a room full of gore. It looks like a haunted house. Like you would be walking through this on around Halloween uh and have actors jumping out at you. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing it reminds me of. Um but it's just full of gore, bits of Frank, I guess. Uh and Pinhead kind of puts his face back together. And then we cut to other characters. Yeah. Uh, oh, and we get glimpses of the other Cenobites, each of which... So Pinhead, you've probably seen and has a very descriptive name. He's a guy with a bunch of pins in his head. Yeah. Um, They'll kind of like nails just in a grid halfway hammered into his head. Face, yeah. top of his head, whole head. Uh, the others all have different like torture things going on like there's the female cenobite with like a wire through her cheeks and her like the front of her neck is kind of the skin is pulled open yeah she's kind of got like headgear designed to expose her esophagus yeah um and then there's the chatterer which is sort of hard to describe but his face is like pulled back by wires uh so there's not much face left you can just kind of see teeth uh, and self-described, he chatters. Yes, he just the makes teeth like, chatter a lot. Yeah. Um, and then there's uh, Butterball, who I think is just like mostly for most of the movie, we don't see a ton of like injury uh, until he loses the glasses toward the end of the movie. Um, and am I missing any of the major ones? I think those are the big ones, right? Yeah, I think that's all the Cenobites. Yeah. So we kind of get a look at him, and then we cut to normal people moving into a house. Uh, so we find out pretty quickly that the this is Larry, Frank's brother, uh, moving back into the family home mm -hmm. with his wife, Julia, who looks like the villain of an 80s movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to explain it. Her hair. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. The hair is incredible. Yeah. You can't look at this woman, at least now. I assume it was just as obvious back then, but, like, she looks like she's supposed to be the one you hate or the femme fatale or something. Yeah, she's got uh, RBH, resting bitch hair. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and very intense eyeshadow. Uh, just, yeah. So this couple is moving into this house. Uh, we also hear reference to uh, 
Larry's daughter, Kirsty, and it's pretty clear pretty quickly that Julia is her stepmother and they don't get along, and that Frank also has a claim to this house, but is just nowhere to be seen. Like, the, mm-hmm. he do, no one seems to know he's dead. He's just kind of not here. Uh, so they're moving into this house, and Kirsty is not. She found a room somewhere in town, but Larry and Julia are. And as they're moving in, uh, Larry cuts his hand real bad on a (laughs) nail that's sticking out of the wall while he's trying to move a mattress up some stairs and bleeds all over the floor. And we pretty quickly see that this is waking something up. Yeah. It's like a heart pumping under the floorboards and just kind of pulls in the blood and is like, ooh, sweet, Mm, tasty blood. So... Turns out that would be Frank. That's that's our pal Frank. And then we get this really fascinating uh, practical effect scene of Frank kind of partially reconstituting out of the floor, and I it is kind of fascinating. I would love to see a detailed like documentary or something on how they did this because yeah, it is pretty cool pretty gross looking it's very gooey like i said frank is always wet Uh, yeah and it's it's pretty convincing stuff for being all practical effects like yeah it doesn't look as like realistic as cgi would um in the sense of like it doesn't look exactly like a real skeleton being reassembled uh because it just kind of which we've all seen and know what that would look like yeah we all know what that would look like um but it does, because it just, you can tell this is practical effects. These are puppets, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But it holds up. Sam and I talk a lot about this on this podcast. Practical effects, folks, give us the puppet Yoda. Puppet Yoda is yes. going to look great 30 years down the road. Yep. CGI Yoda, not so much. Agreed. So, yeah. So Frank kind of, I don't know if comes back to life is the right word, because he's not really alive. He doesn't have any skin uh there's not a lot to him he's like some organs a skeleton and a, i don't know maybe some connective tissue i don't even know if he has muscle at that stage yeah uh but we see him kind of come back to reality from wherever he's been which we mm-hmm. find out more about later mm-hmm. and then julia finds him and it turns out, oh, and we get some some great scenes with Julia walking around the house and she finds a picture of Frank from when he was younger and she is having some serious flashback moments where she feels very strongly about Frank and it turns out they had an affair and she still has the major hots for Frank. Yeah. Like... Like, to the point that she's reminiscing, but, like, panting Yeah. while she's reminiscing. <laughs> she's so into this this memory of Frank and her going at it. Yeah, it's pretty over the top. And the, the flashbacks we get are of him, like, pulling a switchblade on her, and it's interesting. But seductively it's, pulling. It's definitely, <laughs> uh, you know, there may be some consent issues there, but she is clearly into that aspect of things. So there is definitely, this is not a vanilla relationship. No. Not, not a even bit. a little. Nope. So, and then, so when Julia finds partially reconstituted Frank and he's like, don't look at me, don't look at me, uh, which I'll bring up later, she's immediately like, still kind of hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm down. I'm yeah. DT this. So Frank, it turns out, needs dead people. He needs to take other people's blood and muscles and skin and whatever else in order to finish reconstituting himself, uh, kind of mummy style. Yeah. And he wants Julia to help him get this by killing people. Julia is like, you know what? Frank is the hottest person I've ever met. I'm going to become a serial killer. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's game kind of from the jump. Yeah, I think she takes like a minute to be like, oh, I can't. And then she's like, no, you know what? Yeah, fuck it. Frank's worth it. Yeah. So she does. She starts going out and seducing men. 
and bringing them back to the house and hitting them over the head with a hammer and feeding them to Frank. Yeah, she goes full Maxwell Silver Hammer on a bunch of British guys, which we're going to talk about. Yeah. The fact that she's swiftly reducing the British population <laughs> of the supposedly American town. Oh, she's also British, which is... Yeah, uh, she's English. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so she starts killing people, and Frank comes back to being more of a person. Mm-hmm. Uh I find it really funny because as soon as Frank has muscle on his frame, he does not have skin or blood yet. He's just muscle on skeleton. He looks like a Da Vinci like drawing. He really does. An anatomical mm-hmm. diagram of some kind. Uh, but as soon as he has these muscles on his frame again, he's immediately no longer, don't look at me, don't look at me. And he's instead like, Let's hook up. Let's let me, yeah, let's, let's, let's explore this space. Yeah. Make out with me for like a little bit and let's just see what happens. And Julia is kind of a little bit put off for a second and then it's like, nah, you know what? It's Frank. It's Frank, baby. I'm still into it. Let's do this. So that's, that's fun. Uh, and she keeps killing people. Meanwhile, Kirsty, the daughter, is having nightmares and some weird experiences like this guy following her around and eating bugs yeah she works at a pet store and this like drifter guy that's following her like she finds him eating crickets yeah it's really gross the foley is very effective Mm -hmm. but it's not really explained how this is connected to anything else it's just weird shit happening and if you think we mean it's not explained in this moment no 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 dear listener it's not explained no (laughs) it really isn't the drifter guy is not explained, so. Yeah, we get more of him, but explanation is not what we get. No. So yeah, Kirsty. clearly <laughs> there's something horror-y going on with Kirsty as well, but we don't really get what it is at this stage. Uh, and then Larry is just living his normal life, completely oblivious to everyone else in his life, having yeah. horror experiences left and right. I mentioned this while we were watching it, but Larry, the dad in this scenario, is just going to work. Yeah. And he mentions earlier that he has a great job. So I like to think that he's just like, hey, did you see the Bills game last night? <laughs> yep, everything's good. And then he goes home and his wife is like weird. Yeah, she starts acting strangely and he's like, oh, I'm worried about our relationship. Yeah, but then otherwise, he's just back at doing water cooler talk back yep. at the office every day while they're experiencing. Well, she's like killing people with hammers and Kirsty's like watching a dude eat bugs. Yep. He's like filling out. He's just doing Excel work or yeah. whatever. Yeah, just doing his thing. So Frank gets everything but skin. So he's got blood. Like I said, he is always wet, whether it's with like weird just goo or blood or sweat that he cannot be dry in this movie it's like in his contract yeah so he's just walking around with blood as if he is freshly skinned just kind of sitting on top of the muscle so super gross getting everything gross he wears clothes and you're just like that's just soaked in blood now man why yeah he wants to kill frank and take frank's skin julia doesn't let him and is basically saying, I'll I'll get someone else. But uh, then we get her trying to kill someone else. And then Kirsty walks in. Am I missing anything? No, Kirsty, because her dad is like, can you go try to make friends? I'm worried about my wife. She seems lonely or something. Yeah. And Kirsty is an amazing daughter and is like, sure, I'll go try yeah. to like win over this like ice queen that you married yeah <laughs> uh and she sees her enter the house with another guy so power to her Kirsty's like i'm gonna go confront the cheater the cheater that my father is married to i'm gonna catch her on flagrante in f- in fairness she is cheating just not with that guy yeah yeah for, yeah that's a good point she's keeping it in the family yeah for what it's worth uh but yeah you know she goes upstairs and is like sees frank consuming a dude yeah and it's like what the fuck yeah and frank basically is like hey it's me your uncle frank i'm gonna be weirdly flirty about this and say come to daddy at my knees like it's so gross Mm -hmm. and uh not just because he's made of blood at this point and she's like fuck this 
And Christy's quick on her feet. She man. is. She really is. And she grabs the puzzle box. Mm-hmm. And Frank is like, no, give that back. And she is immediately like, oh, you want this. I'm going to use that and throws it out the window and bolts to get the fuck away and then grabs the puzzle box on the way out and then kind of faints and wakes up in the hospital. So she wakes up in the hospital and the doctors are like, you were gripping this puzzle box and leave her (laughs) by herself in the room. And she's like, what the hell is this puzzle box? There's clearly something weird and supernatural going on. My uncle was a blood dude. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) (laughs) decides to play with the box and she opens it which is just never a good idea yeah so this summons a portal to hell where she gets chased by a a thing a thing a big potato demon i don't know how to describe it it's (laughs) it's weird it's it's like an elongated mr potato head but all the bits are in the wrong spot and it has pointy teeth and it yeah it's fascinating uh definitely just kind of nightmare monster design yeah not anything in particular so it chases her and then she manages to close the door on it but then she's still got the puzzle box open so the cenobites show up and are like woohoo we're gonna take you to hell and torture you for fun yeah you summoned us so to explain the cenobites because the movie does explain this pretty well but if you're new and haven't seen it or whatever. The puzzle box summons the Cenobites, who we'll put it this way: are S and M astronauts. <laughs> they are at the far reaches of sadomasochism, exploring the frontiers, the frontiers of experience. Of experience, I think is what Pinhead says exactly. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. So if you are a little bit kinky and you want to push it. To the absolute limit, you mm-hmm. call the Cenobites because, uh, which is presumably why people seek out the box. Yeah, that's what Frank was going for. That's what Frank was going for, and uh, boy howdy, they will deliver an experience because uh, if if Mister Gray, uh, Christian Gray, thinks he's got anything <laughs> going on, man, he should meet the Cenobites because they do not play around. This is true. Yeah, yeah. they perfect will, comparison. They will deliver. Uh, on the pain and pleasure aspects. Yep. Uh, but then you will probably die horribly. So. Yeah. And be stuck for eternity with the whole pain and pleasure situation. Yeah. Which is what happened to Frank. Which is what happened to Frank. So yeah, but Christy, he escaped, as it turns out. Yeah, it turns out he got away somehow. And Kirsty figures this out immediately. Immediately. She looks at them, hears that they're like, you summoned us. We're going to torture you because that's the whole our whole deal. And she's like, ah, so clearly my asshole uncle summoned these guys. And that's how he ended up like skinless and then escaped them. They probably want him back. So yeah. she immediately is like, all right, let's make a deal. I will give you my uncle if you let me go. And Pinhead's like, hmm, maybe if I hear him confess. Yeah, they're really, they say a line that I adore because she's like, what if I give you Frank instead? And the female, the the woman uh, S&M astronaut is like, what if we prefer you? Which I just adore because it's like in movies like this, people are like, let's make a deal. And I just love the idea that the villains or whatever we want to call them might be like, I I don't know, fuck Frank. Yeah, (laughs) like... (laughs) Maybe I don't want to make a deal. <laughs> he wasn't that interesting. You, on the other hand. Uh, anyway, but yeah, they, they do let her go to the house. Yep. So she goes back to the house to get Frank to confess and get taken back by the Cenobites. And she gets there. And in the meantime, uh, Larry came home and Julia and Frank are talking and are like, shit, Kirsty got away. She knows kind of what's going on. She's going to go to the cops, which... You'll notice she does not. No. It's the one thing she doesn't do. And so they're kind of freaking out. And now Julie is like, okay, fine. You can kill Larry. So uh, we don't see them kill Larry. Yeah. But Frank uh, steals Larry's skin and looks like Larry now. Yeah. Which I want to talk about. Yeah. We we can definitely talk about. Uh, so he looks like Larry and he and Julia are like, hell yeah. 
And then Kirsty gets there and is like, oh, thank God, Dad, you're okay. Your brother is skinless upstairs and wants to kill you. And uh, Frank Larry is like, <laughs> my hot daughter, this is great. Oh, it's okay. I already killed him. Yeah. So it's, yeah, um, it's gross on the incest level at this point. Yeah. It takes her a little bit to figure out that this is not her dad. Yeah, he says, come to daddy at one point. And yeah. And she's like, immediately at that point, she clocks it and says, oh, shit. Yes. Uh, so she freaks out. She scratches him. She fights. She runs. She finds her dad's skinless corpse. She hides in a closet. There's some maggots on an old corpse from one of Julia's previous victims, I assume. Yeah. Uh, and she ends up confronting Frank in her dad's skin. And then the Cenobites show up because she got him to, like, talk about what he'd been up to. Yeah. So the Cenobites show up and are like, geez, hey, Frank. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what's up, bud? Thanks, Kirsty. You did us a solid. This is indeed Frank. Yep. And they pull out the creepy skin hooks and take him back. Yeah. And then Kirsty is still there with the Cenobites uh, and is like, well, shit, wait, what happened to Julia? Did I miss? Julia we see later and she's been flayed in bed. Presumably the oh, Cenobites no, got a Frank hold of her. Frank stabbed her. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Frank tried to stab Kirsty and accidentally stabbed Julia as there was like a scuffle. So yeah. this was almost in passing. Right, um, but then later we do see her in bed with her face flayed open. Yeah, I don't know. Holding the puzzle box. So I guess the Cenobites were like... You're into this shit too. Yeah, for for good time's sake, let's just... Uh, let's give you one last little experience. I don't know. Unclear. Yeah. Well, there is a sequel uh, that I haven't seen in way too long. And we can, I don't know, maybe watch sometime. But mm -hmm. I don't remember it well enough to discuss. I just know that Julia is in it. Oh, um, so anyway, uh, so Kirsty is like, oh, shit, the Cenobites are still here and they still want to take me because they're greedy. And she figures out that actually I need to use the puzzle box to get rid of them. And we see the worst special effects of the entire movie as just zigzags of light come and destroy the Cenobites mm -hmm. as she's closing the puzzle box at them. And... Her boyfriend, Steve, who is barely in this movie, shows up basically just to be there. Yeah. And witness some things before Kirsty finishes off uh, banishing the Cenobites. And the house gets completely destroyed around them and they escape. And then Kirsty burns the puzzle box in a random bonfire. And the one of like 20 bonfires in yeah. this field. Yeah. For some reason. And then the guy that had been eating bugs earlier shows up. And I guess he turns into a weird bone dragon he thing. He turns into a bone dragon. Takes the box and flies away. Yeah. And then we see the final scene is back in uh, somewhere in the Orient. So, you know, yeah. to use some old parlance. There's a guy selling the box to a new dude, just like he sold it to Frank in the yeah. opening Same scene. Same guy selling the box. Yeah. And this whole thing is starting over again. Uh, maybe that guy's the bone dragon, too. I don't know. It's not clear. Yeah. So, the end. The enroll credits fiend. Yep. Uh, what did you think of this one? It is so fun. It's so <laughs> fucking bizarre. <laughs> what would you give it if you had to give it a word? This movie is... The first word that came to mind was gooey. I was going to say wet. Yeah. It, so. is very, it is very wet. Um, not just Frank, the whole movie, but especially Frank. Yeah, especially Frank. But there's just a lot of like wetness involved. Yeah. Uh, but I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. It's, mm -mm. it's a fun time. And it is very, I don't know, it's... It's nothing like anything else I've seen. No, even within the horror genre, Hellraiser's, like, this movie is uh, wet, as described. Mm -hmm. 
it is like grosser and kinkier and gayer. Yes. Than I remembered it being, and I remembered it being kind of a lot on all <laughs> all those fronts. Yeah. Um. It 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 has its own flavor, which is really saying something because agree completely in genre fiction. There's so much like interconnected DNA. Yeah. Interconnected DNA between various properties. Hellraiser is kind of its own fucking thing. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I feel like most movies that we are watching for this thing, we can kind of trace a lineage. Yeah. I don't know where Hellraiser came from other than Clive Barker's weird ass brain. Weird ass brain. <laughs> and S M clubs. Uh but yeah, which we, we keep harping on it, but it was a direct inspiration for this yes, movie, according explicitly. to the creator, Clive Barker. Yeah. Who is a, a queer man. Yeah, he's openly gay and got explicitly got inspiration for the Cenobites whole thing from S&M clubs. Yeah, in New York and Amsterdam, apparently, which sounds oh, like cool. some fun trips for old Clive Barker. Yeah, sure he was having a good time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely kinky explicitly. I mean, again, Frank's whole motivation was kink. Yeah. That, and Julia's whole motivation was whatever Frank was offering her, which is probably kink. Yeah. Judging by the little glimpses we get of him, like having a knife out. And apparently there was some spanking that got cut for a rating because we can show all this people getting ripped apart by <laughs> yeah. hooks and but god forbid someone gets spanked i don't know mpaa is just weird yeah ratings especially at this time period were just they're still weird they were even weirder yeah back in the day because we were given movies pg-13 ratings like the blues brothers pg <laughs> yeah pg that have the word fuck about like two dozen times yeah but then, yeah, you show some light spanking. And, <laughs> God uh, forbid. It's an NC-17 or an X rating because I don't think NC-17 existed at this point. So Yeah, it just reminds me of uh, there's supposedly some behind the scenes uh, stuff on Hannibal, the TV show, hmm. where there's an episode of Hannibal where the killer of the week is peeling the skin off of people's backs and hooking it up with wire so that it looks like wings so that the people look like really gory angels. Yeah. And supposedly the studio or the network or whoever had objections when they were filming to the dead bodies of the angelified people because you could see too much butt crack. And their <laughs> proposed solution was adding additional blood to cover it up, which just sums up to me yeah. the priorities of these weird people who think that a little butt crack is more harmful or scandalous than the flayed musculature <laughs> of the person's back right above it. Yeah, it's insane. Um God, that was a good episode of Hannibal, though. It was a great episode. <laughs> I didn't know that, though. That's fantastic that they were like, a little bit of plumber's crack Yeah, is it's... too much. So cover it with blood is, like you said, <laughs> the perfect encapsulation of where the MPAA and studio execs S&P, uh, all yeah. that is, is at. It's, That's amazing. It's wild to me. And... It's so American, yeah. too. Like, you can't teach kids sex ed, but you can teach them how to prepare for the person with the AK-47 walking through trying to kill them. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's going to be less damaging. Mm -hmm. Anyway, different. that's a different conversation. Yeah. But, yeah, so Hellraiser, uh, apparently all of the S&M demons are fine and the people getting ripped apart is fine, but some light spanking not okay not okay at all so it's almost interesting because it's like take 50 shades of gray which has some snm it's a little kinky it's mm -hmm. supposed to be super kinky its whole thing is kink but you know it doesn't really do a good job of portraying kink is the problem yeah not really um and it isn't all that kinky like, they talk about relationships that Christian Grey has that sound kinky. Like, he has permanent, like, live-in subs, 24-7 mm -hmm. uh, subs that he, like, 
had previously. And then Anna, I think is her name. It's been a minute. I could, that movie was so boring. I don't remember it at all. Anyway, she shows up uh, and fixes him or whatever. So, but even in this movie that is explicitly about kink, uh, that is about sex, like shows you sex. It's pretty tame. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I trying to say here? So, like, basically, it's interesting to me what they're allowed to show in a movie that is explicitly about sex. Mm-hmm. And what they were allowed to show in Hellraiser, which is explicitly about kink. Like, they were allowed to do so much violence. Yeah. But basically no sex. Yeah, it's weird. And then, yeah, like, the limits around sexual exploration in film are really strict, it looks like, versus this movie, like... So it almost, like, it's like a box that I feel like Clyde Barker had to behave inside of, which means that what we got was, like, honestly, like, a truly kinky movie. Oh, yeah. Like, a movie that does a much better job of exposing what kink is like um because it couldn't just be explicit about like their previous like sex life or whatever it yeah. had to like dig into the motifs and feelings and uh that kind of it had to dig into the meat of it yeah because yeah it it is pretty interesting now that you mention it the way that removing the ability to be visually explicit about a lot of it lets them get more into what really makes kink kink Mm -hmm. uh, in interesting ways so yeah all that to say this movie is in the script i mean it is not subtext that this movie is about kink that is what it is explicitly about but it's kink taken to an extreme that makes it into horror yeah which is fascinating it is fascinating um yeah what was i gonna say about that i kind of related to the 50 shades thing um it really does lend itself to like if you have this fantasy of like experiencing pain and pleasure simultaneously this is the like mount everest of that Mm -hmm. uh is what's on offer here from the cenobites now like you said it takes it into a horror direction uh but i feel like that's like right in line with uh like that like if fear and pain yeah. and pleasure all sort of rolled into absolutely the concepts of the cenobites it really works it's also uh kind of getting to an interesting thing about fantasy because frank regrets summoning the cenobites he escapes and he doesn't want them to recapture him the thing that he he got exactly what he was looking for yeah explicitly because like in there just to interrupt you really quick they have like that flashback sex scene that i got her got julia really hot and bothered Mm -hmm. uh uh, which was just very funny um but uh, in that, he says it's never enough, presumably talking about the sex. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. He's very dramatic about the sex not being enough. Enough for what is unclear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's he is really looking for something extreme. And mm-hmm. that's and he looks all over the world for this box that supposedly gets you the most extreme experiences. And he gets it. And he gets literally exactly what he wanted. Or thought he wanted. And then it turns out that he doesn't actually like that. Which I think is a pretty... I don't want to say necessarily like common experience. But like it's it's definitely a thing in the kink world of trying to figure out what you actually want. Uh, versus what you enjoy thinking about and the thought of. Yeah. And that this movie provides something... For people who are into that to think about uh even though you probably wouldn't actually open the box if you had it yeah i don't think any part of most people literally wants to be ripped apart right exactly you know experiencing some kind of pleasure side of this or whatever like probably not on their radar but the fantasy of life ending levels of pleasure and pain uh would appeal to a lot of kinksters i feel like so you're totally right it's like 
it, yeah, I guess that's what I mean by this is like a, a the, it's a continuous through line between a certain flavor of kink to this movie. Yeah. Which is just so authentic, which is one of the things I wanted to talk about with Clive Barker is that, like we said before, this is based on his S&M experiences. Mm-hmm. So, like, this isn't someone like, I don't know what, uh, shit, what's her name? The woman that wrote Fifty Shades. Um, E.L. James? E.L. James. I don't know what her personal experience is. I don't know that anybody does except for her and maybe her partners. Sure. Partner, yeah. partners, whoever. Um, probably just read a lot of fanfic. Probably a lot of fanfic. It seems less genuine. Oh, yeah. Than Hellraiser, agree. a movie from the 80s about... <laughs> about kinkstronauts like it just has this really genuine feel for the culture and uh coming from a queer kinky guy it just lands so much better uh which is not to say that this movie is approachable if you're curious about kink no this is is not a good introduction it is not like yeah i want to be clear this is not like a normal kinky fantasy movie this is supposed to be extreme and supposed to be unpleasant and And it is and it is uh but that's kind of what's fascinating about it because the pain of kink is not incidental it is the point so having something be extreme to the level where it is uncomfortable to watch is like that's a kinky experience. Yeah, it's a thing. So I don't know. It's very, very interesting uh, to think about and to talk about and to watch, definitely. So, yeah, I guess where does that leave us? Well, I was going to mention another. We looked up a bunch of trivia about this. And one yes. of my favorites is that he screened this for his mother, Clive Barker did. <laughs> and his name came up as director and creator. And she wept tears of joy. Uh-huh. And he leaned over and said, you're going to be a lot less happy over the next two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is just fucking funny. <laughs> you know, I I cannot imagine making something like that and then showing it to my mom. Yeah. I especially can't imagine watching it next to her. I, I mean, I... I get stressed about the thought of people close to me reading, watching, or listening to things that I've written because, you know, the tiniest things Mm -hmm. about, you know, oh, I I did this one thing that they'll be uncomfortable with. I'm really worried. I can't imagine making, like, kink horror on this level and then (laughs) watching it with my mother. It's just... Writing a masterclass on how to make a kink horror film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then being like, hey, mom, you want to see the Cenobites? Uh, it's so good. Um, yeah. I, I, it makes me want to meet Clive Barker and like talk yeah. about that experience, mm-hmm. yeah. among other things. What but, was yeah. it like showing your mom one of the kinkiest horror movies ever made? Yeah. Um, which I don't know. It is at this really weird intersection that I think is pretty cool of, uh, how fear is obviously a core focus of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and fear to some degree is a core aspect of kink as Definitely well. Definitely for some people. Yeah. For some people, depending on what you're into. Cause again, we're kind of talking about two different flavors here. Cause like you've got the 50 shades of gray kink. Yeah. Which is just like handcuffs and maybe some like spanking. I think 50 shades isn't really tapping into interest in BDSM so much as interest in taboo. Yes. Because it really emphasizes like, oh, this is forbidden Mm -hmm. and fixates so much on how bad it is. Which is so weird because it's supposed to be this like sexually liberating open movie. And also, folks, we're talking about Fifty Shades a lot because Sam and I watched the entire Fifty Shades series. And as an extension, Jackie did as well. (laughs) I don't Um, know. Watched is an exaggeration. (laughs) I was like playing phone games the whole time. Yeah, but you were there. Uh, And so Sam and I talked a lot about these movies. And so uh, and they are labeled as kinky films. So they're part of this discussion. If you want an actual kink movie uh, that is not Hellraiser or Fifty Shades, watch Secretary. It's a classic. Secretary is a great movie. Yeah. Uh, Christian Slater. and No. Uh, oh, my God. Why am I blanking on his name? I don't know. Maggie it's... Gyllenhaal. 
Maggie Gyllenhaal and James Spader. James Spader. My bad. Not Christian Slater. Uh, they filled similar roles around the same time. And their names rhyme. And their names rhyme. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, a great movie actually about kink. Um, yes. And, and- Very different movie from either of those others. Uh but actually a pretty solid intro if you are interested in actual, like, real-life kinky relationships. Yes. Check out Secretary. Yeah, because Fifty Shades trades, I think you've nailed it, in this, like, taboo zone of, like, oh, this is forbidden, which makes you wonder, like, for a a movie in a series that's supposed to be so sexually liberating, what does... I think her name's Anastasia, so I'm just going to say that. What does Anastasia think sex is supposed to be? Just, like, missionary under the covers? Like... Probably. Probably. She's American. Yeah, she's got the same puritanical streak as uh, every other American, I assume. Yeah. Um, but you're totally right that it like it's all about taboos, uh, which isn't necessarily kinky when you get down to it. Yeah. I mean, I think there are elements of playing with taboo that appear in kink like uh exhibitionism and voyeurism both kind of play into like you're not supposed to see or be seen so and there's i don't know there are a lot of jokes about uh kink shaming haha shame is my kink um that's a real deal though for a lot of people and i mean it's just because kink is really anything that isn't quote normal yeah so yeah um it includes a lot of different things for sure so i would say what we're getting from 50 shades is like some bdsm uh elements yeah but not so much for the bdsm itself so much as for the the taboo the shame yeah associated with it yeah exactly so maybe there's a shame kink involved there that's my interpretation of it for sure uh Uh, versus hellraiser which is similarly bent around like bdsm um but really leans into the fear and pain side of it yes yeah and utilizes it in such a cool way since it's a horror movie Mm -hmm. like the feeling of fear or disgust. This movie makes me feel a little disgusted. It's gross. It's a really gross I was movie. Watching this on an empty stomach and like, okay, I needed to eat something yeah. because <laughs> my stomach was not happy with me. So I like had a snack in between some of the grosser scenes. Like I waited until there was not much happening on yeah. screen to eat. Uh, this movie doesn't make you want to eat while you watch it. It doesn't. It's very meaty. There's a lot of yeah. like, meat involved. It's yeah. It's pretty. It's, it's intense. Gooey. It's very gooey. Yeah, it's a super gooey movie. Um, anyway, all of that just to say, it was. It's really cool, and it's got its own flavor mm-hmm. that other horror movies don't necessarily. There's got to be something else in the Hellraiser sort of vogue. I mean, there are ten more Hellraiser movies or something. Yeah, there are a with lot. several more stuck in development hell. Apparently, like a reboot. Well, there was a reboot, which we still need to watch. I haven't mm-hmm. watched it yet. It looks really good. Um, and I think nine sequels. Yeah. Uh, I saw the second one years ago. I don't really remember it. And that's it. But I also have heard that some of those sequels, uh, I guess the studio was about to lose the rights to the Hellraiser franchise. So in order to keep the rights, because you have a certain amount of time and you have to make use of the rights or you lose them. Uh, legally speaking, so they, for a couple of movies, supposedly, they were like, shit, we can't lose rights to Pinhead. We have to use them. Let's find a script for mm-hmm. something, <laughs> stick Pinhead in it, call it a Hellraiser movie, and make that movie. Uh, so Supposedly, some of the direct-to-video sequels were that. <laughs> Which, Which is fantastic. It's amazing. <laughs> and I, I don't... It's unfortunate because it probably would have resulted in better movies if they just let the rights revert to someone who would actually make a Hellraiser movie. Yeah, clearly movie. there's an issue there. But it's hilarious. So I do. I kind of do want to see some of those movies someday. Yeah, I love the idea but, that they're like, we've got Honey, We Shrunk the Kids 7. <laughs> and we have got to use Pinhead or Pinhead's going to go to someone who's actually going to use Pinhead in a movie. Just shove them in there. So... It's like Seinfeld Vision from 30 Rock where they like AI generated Seinfeld in old 
uh, or in new properties. Oh, God. But it's fucking Pinhead, which, again, is so weird because this guy is like a sextronaut. Yeah. Like a, like a BDSM evangelist. He's so specific. He's so specific. Because <laughs> you can't really just slot him into anything in the same way that you could, like, uh, Michael Myers or Ghostface, even. Um, yeah. Because he's on a, he's got a very specific agenda, this really Pinhead does. dude. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... There are a lot more Hellraisers, but there is nothing that is not Hellraiser that is anything like Hellraiser. Yeah, is what we're saying. Yeah, At least basically. not that I, that, not that I've seen. I haven't watched other Clive Barker stuff, really. I don't think. Yeah, that's a good so, point. I'm curious if he stayed in the same vein or did something else. Yeah, I do want to address. Uh, there was apparently a review of Hellraiser when it came out. I think it was Roger Ebert uh, said it was bankruptcy of imagination in this movie what the fuck roger i i want to know what he was thinking because even you don't have to like this movie i fully admit that this is not everyone's cup of tea going to see hellraiser when it first came out was probably very jarring and uncomfortable for many people it's supposed to be but you so you don't have to come out of this movie happy but thinking it's not imaginative is unimaginable unimaginable to me i on i can't conceive of seeing this very weird movie that explores things i have never seen in any other story in any other medium and then going "Hmm, no imagination there yeah is just weird like down to the fact that each cenobite is like a tiny little homage to the S&M scene that birthed them. Like, they're mm-hmm. kind of inventive, horror-focused versions of the concept of, like, pain and pleasure. Like, yeah. Pinhead's got pins tapped into his head all over. Like, do you How think- is that not imaginative? <laughs> How is that not imaginative? Um, oh, I think of six different people with pins in their head before breakfast. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's just like my friend Ted. <laughs> Ted with the guy with the pins in his head. Um and like we're saying here many years later, um the movie is like so its own thing that yeah. we're struggling to think of other horror properties that have the same flavor. Yeah. So yeah. Ima- imaginative is absolutely the word that would apply. Yeah. Good I job, Clyde Barker. Yeah. Even if you don't enjoy it or don't think it's good for whatever reason, you are entitled to your opinion. I cannot see any argument that there's any kind of lack of imagination. Yeah. So. Boy, yeah, that one's uh, fucking Roger Ebert, man. Sometimes he's, he swung for the fences <laughs> and he just whiffed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wanted to mention really quick. It's another hilarious aspect of this movie is that it was Clyde Barker is English. The original short story this is based on is supposed to be in England. The movie was shot in England. Mm-hmm. It has a ton of English people, but it also has a lot of ADR dubs of, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of people talking over the original actors in American accents. Because I guess some studio exec was like, this isn't going to sell if it's set in England. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand the logic of that at all. Yeah. But, but it, yeah. it does add a layer of kind of surreal vibes that yeah. fits the rest of the movie in a way, I guess. I'd say like 50% of the dialogue in this movie is probably dubbed over American voices mm-hmm. uh, is the vibe that I'm getting from paying very close attention. It's hard to tell. It's not like it's like immediately apparent. Yeah. Um, except for Frank. Frank is super obvious that he's been dubbed. Yeah, Frank is pretty... Was Steve dubbed? I think Steve Steve was dubbed dubbed. as well. Because Steve is an English actor. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a weird choice from the studio. There are a lot of stories about the way that this movie was made. Mm -hmm. That if you read the IMDb trivia, I don't... I can't vouch for all of its accuracy, but this movie was a journey. Yeah. First of all, <laughs> the budget was only a million, which is damn impressive for how well 
everything holds up. And yeah. just the prosthetics alone in a current, I don't know what the inflation adjustment would look like, but if you made a movie now with that much prosthetic makeup, I feel like the budget would have to be way higher. I feel like one million and eighty-six would have to be like at most three, maybe five million in today's money. I could be super wrong about that, but it, it wouldn't still be ten. Seems X. like it'd be really cheap. That's a really cheap movie. Yeah. So, kudos to like the prosthetic makeup people because holy shit the Cenobites are really well done yeah they're they're puppet Yoda baby yeah they're really convincing and like we were talking about the effects of Frank reconstituting himself was really really impressive and really cool looking Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of really cool stuff uh that they did a really good job of but I also want to talk about the one special effect that is not well done, which is the the weird light effects that banish the Cenobites. Anytime someone uses the box, there's like these doodles of glowing colored light just on the screen. Yeah. Of like zigzags and stuff. And it looks like it's from a kid's program or something. It or looks someone like just, MS Paint. It does. And there's a reason for that because they ran out of time and budget to do the these kind of final special effects for the banishing of the Cenobites. So apparently, again, according to IMDb trivia, but frankly, it, this is exactly what it looks like happened. Uh, supposedly, Clive Barker and one other guy that is not named just spent a weekend mm-hmm. <laughs> basically doing this by hand with the film while drinking heavily. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like it. It kind of does. And again, I think Clive Barker in the trivia says that he said it's pretty good for how much we were drinking. And I can't really argue about that. I yeah. mean, it, it looks it looks hokey, but it's not as it's not bad. It's not sloppy. No. It's just cheap. Mm hmm. And kind of tacked on after the fact, which as far as we can tell, it was. Um, But yes, I just love that story of like spending a weekend drinking and doodling light on your film. Just that's that's how I picture it happening. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, Shit. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to say about this gloriously kinky horror film? I guess, well, we originally wanted to talk about Hellraiser because we were talking about feminism and queerness in horror movies. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts having rewatched Hellraiser on that aspect of things? I think this one's a really interesting one uh, from a feminist perspective. Uh, the dude characters in this movie are almost sexy lamps. Yeah. Steve shows up Is to do useless. nothing. useless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he like tries to correct how Kirsty is using the puzzle box she, she slaps tells, him away and says, she gets no. it right that's it yeah. that's all he does um and then the dad uh doesn't really contribute a whole lot either other he's than just, just oblivious he's oblivious and he moves the plot along like he's the reason they moved into this house yeah uh he bleeds frank is sort of the antagonist mm-hmm so he's got that going on. But largely, this movie moves because of the women in it yeah. doing things. Like, Frank would have just been a blob man yeah. if she hadn't said, okay, I'm going to... It's cool, because like her motivations, I think, aren't typical Hollywood of this era female motivations. I don't think they're typical woman of any era. I can't think of another story where a woman drives the plot along because she wants sex. Yeah, she's so horny for the specific dude and whatever kind of experience that he was providing that she's willing to gank people. Yeah. To like feed him corpses. That is very unique and fascinating. So... Agreed. And then Kirsty is also like a really strong character who like cares about her dad. Mm-hmm. It's really sweet. And then fucking takes charge. Yeah. She is so quick on the uptake. Every time something happens, she's immediately like, okay, got it. So yeah. we've got supernatural shenanigans. We've got kink demons. We've got my <laughs> asshole uncle trying to kill my dad. Like it's all related to this puzzle box. Like she's super quick on her feet. Yeah. 
and those are so obviously she's kind of the final girl. Yeah. Um, but it just yeah, it, I think the fact that it has a queer hand at the helm uh, makes it so that these characters just feel more genuine to me. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there's no gratuitous shot of uh, boobs. Like, we see no. some boobs in the flashback between her and Frank, but in that case, it's very explicitly, like, a woman being pleasured in a way that Yeah, is, it has a purpose, and yeah. it's for her. Yeah, it's for her. Enjoyment, and it's her memory. And yes, yeah. exactly. So there's no, like, objectification here, and I think a large part of that is the fact that Clive Barker is not a person inclined to objectify women. Yeah. Uh, which is a great reason to... Like, get diverse voices in media, folks. Hell like, yeah. you get some really awesome stories uh, from different perspectives. And back in the 80s, this one, it just feels very different from that perspective. Yeah, uh, than, it's awesome. Like, Halloween, uh, where we're seeing lots of boobs. Mm-hmm. And the women are largely there just to be murdered, except for Jamie Lee Curtis's character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, all this to say that, like, like we've talked about before, horror, I feel like, is a cut above, especially these older movies, what was happening at the time in mm-hmm. terms of, like, intersectionality. Um, it's a really good place to experiment yes. with things in film that no one else can really let you get away with. So it there's a lot of really cool stuff like that. Yeah, and I think Hellraiser in particular yeah. set a very high bar for, like, feminist and queer media at the time because like we were talking about how julia kind of is like a gay icon uh yeah um i mean that's that's my understanding from like just i follow a lot of horror blogs and podcasts and stuff and that is kind of the vibe that i always get mm -hmm. is like and she has that vibe which i cannot explain but as someone in the queer community there are some people that you're just like yeah Gay icon. <laughs> yeah. Can't necessarily explain why, but she looks great and fabulous, covered in blood. She really comes into her own when she starts killing people. And there is something very, like, relatable to the queer experience, not because of the killing, but because of the, like, I have found something that makes me feel good about myself, my yeah. purpose. Like, she looks like a different person once she embraces her weird attraction to Frank. Yeah. And she looks like she's comfortable with herself and is going around seducing strangers to murder them. But that's, you know, it works for her. Yeah, she's got this whole, like, femme fatale murdering a guy for good sex or murdering (laughs) dudes for good sex kind of vibe. Uh, That's just, yeah, it's really cool. So... I'm glad we watched it from that perspective. Uh, it definitely holds up as like a cut above. Yeah. Uh, it's great re- movie. Representationally what was happening, which I think. Check it out. Just don't like eat anything particularly gooey while you Yeah. Have. Which I was going to say is sort of weird because we're approaching this from like a queer horror perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. <laughs> I don't know that. Every person on the planet who identifies as queer would be like, this is great representation. <laughs> no, probably <laughs> It's about not. kink demons. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for the folks that are into horror. The uh, kinky monster fuckers among us yeah, will absolutely <laughs> exactly. enjoy this movie. So before you go watch it, uh, just ask yourself, am I even the slightest bit a kinky monster fucker or am I just a big old horror nut? Yeah. Because uh, if you answered yes to either one of those, if you answered yes to the first one, I have great news for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is very much your steez. Uh Yeah. Anyway, that's all I really have to say about that. It just, it panned out. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. cool. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this week's Horror Hut. Horror Hut. Uh, a podcast within a podcast. Uh, just a quick update. Uh, Sam and the wee baby Keanu are doing great. Uh, mother is recovering nicely. And they're just a happy little family. Uh, no clue yet when Sam is going to return. So we're just going to keep doing Horror Hut until we've banged out every single movie and scream. Uh, thank you so much for listening as we go through this uh, parental leave sort of period while Sam is gone. 
it's been great to see the numbers and know that you folks are listening. Thank you so much. I know it's sort of different. If you want some of that old style Hanksy Panksy content, go to patreon.com slash Hanksy Throw us like a third of a latte and you can get like, I think it's like 40 hours worth of content, maybe 60. It's kind of a lot uh, of episodes that we have up there. Uh, we do fun things like rank every Pokemon by how fuckable they are. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and we rank all of Tom Hanks's movies and all of Dwayne the Rock Johnson's movies. We ranked something else and that's just the ranking episodes. Um, yeah, so there, that's patreon.com slash Hanksy Panksy. Uh, if you give us enough money, you can be one of Hanks's heroes. That's Tuck and Daniel and fellas, I'd open this box with you. We'll wow. see. Let's see what happens, baby. Uh, and uh, we're on all the socials. Just Google us because uh, I don't remember them. If you want to email us. Uh, sorry, we're not on Twitter because uh, Elon Musk uh, loves the Fifty Shades series and thinks they are perfect representations of kink. Uh, in fact, they may even be a little too racy for old Elon Musk. Uh, you can email us at hanksypanksypod at gmail.com. I will read your emails on air. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's going to do it as far as back matter. All right. Do you have a final quote for this one? I do. It's said by, uh, what's his name? Frank Pete? What's the dad's name? Larry. Sorry. <laughs> Frank Larry <laughs> as he's being ripped apart. And he just randomly says, Jesus wept. <laughs> and then he explodes so (laughs) all right folks thanks for listening we'll be back next week with uh a surprise yeah you'll see or hear